to the Impeccable Perspective Podcast, where we help you discover gospel clarity and openness in a new way by letting go of the culture and finding your truth while having some fun doing it. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Peck and Luann Roundy. All right, everyone, welcome to the very first episode of the Impeccable Perspective podcast. Thank you for being here. I am excited to get this rolling and to share my perspective on the gospel with all of you. Okay, so I've been wanting to start a podcast for a while. However, I, uh, I, was, I was leaning more towards some kind of a topic that was business-oriented or something I could monetize and turn a podcast into a business. And I began thinking about my strengths and the knowledge I had and what value I might be able to bring to people. And the, uh, the idea of my you know, church membership, I guess, just sort of popped into my mind. I wouldn't really call it inspiration or anything like that. It wasn't one of those kind of moments, but um, I uh, have been a member of the church for 25 years. I'm a convert, and I did not grow up in Utah, so I have a very unique perspective on all things gospel, church, and culture, and I wanted to share that with people. So the target audience for the podcast is going to be other converts to the church, as well as uh, other types of gospel misfits. (laughs) Uh, Being a a convert uh, is a very different experience from people who grew up in the church, and converts have a really special bond. I I love to meet converts because we all have this this common bond, this this experience that uh, no one else in the church has. And the experience is simply going from complete spiritual darkness to total enlightenment. And that's, it's amazing. It's, the contrast is incredible, and it's the thing that keeps me kind of going in the church, especially when things get rough. Uh, But it's not something that everyone will experience, and it's not a bad thing. It's just different. But uh, converts, uh, you know, have this bond. It's a bit of a wink and a smile kind of deal when we uh, meet each other, because we get it. We know we've been through it, and it's it's a good thing. And that perspective is what I want to bring to this podcast. But as well as converts, uh, it's uh, also for everyone else who feels like they don't fit the mold of the expectations of the church culture. Now, you can argue that everybody is a convert, right? Because no matter if you grew up in the church or not, you still have to convert to the gospel, and that's very true. But um, there are... Uh, a lot of people in the church who don't fit that mold and who feel like they are different because of the way that they're treated by the church culture. And we're going to get into a lot of this kind of stuff as we go through the podcast. And uh, you're going to find that I have strong opinions about that, and I'm not afraid to uh, to voice them because I think it's important for us to unite and get past all of the spin uh, and the filters that sort of gets put on the uh, the gospel and the principles of the gospel by the church culture. Uh, all of these crazy ideas and expectations and unrealistic types of um, standards that uh, not everyone can, can live up to. And uh, we need to cut through all of that and just get to a point where we can drill down and look at the bare essence of these gospel principles and how we can apply them in our lives. And we all need to understand that we're not uh, different in the eyes of God, right? Uh, you know, a lot of people are made to feel that they're different or they're not adequate as members of the church because of their past, because of the things they've done. 
because of the choices they've made. And guess what? We're human. We're here for these experiences and to make those choices. And it doesn't matter. If you're trying to live the gospel and you, you want to live the gospel, you should be able to. So the podcast here is going to be a voice for all people out there who want to get strengthened and and who, who want to maintain their uh you know, their excitement, right, for the gospel, who who want to be able to live the gospel the way that it's meant to be lived and uh, not feel like they're a pariah because of it. And that's why I refer to us as gospel misfits, right? You've got people at all kinds of different stages in their journey here. Um, they, you know, they, they might be Jack Mormon, for example. They might be post-Mormon or ex-Mormon, uh, they might be taking a break right now. You know, they might be um, cis Mormon or Mormon fluid. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, it's uh, everybody's on their journey, and uh, we're all trying to get to the same place. And uh, we need to be encouraged, and we need to have, uh, you know, a, a resource that can help us along the way. And that's what I hope that this podcast will be. Now there is one segment of the church population that this podcast is not for. I call them natural-born Mormons, and these are the people who are on the general authority fast track, you know, the the people that think that there's only one way to live the gospel. You're born in the church, you act like you never sin, you go on a mission as soon as you're eligible, you return uh, with honor, and uh, get married in the temple three weeks after you get home. You have six kids under the age of four by the time you're 25, right? That whole thing. And uh, honestly, that's just not for everyone. It's not possible for a lot of people, especially as converts, but it's not desired by a lot of people as well. And unfortunately, we kind of get looked down upon a little bit by the church culture where these expectations are set that are unrealistic or uh, more importantly, there's only one way you can get to the celestial kingdom is if you follow this track. And that's simply not true. And, uh, you know, people feel uh, bad about that. They're meant to feel bad about that because they're not following that path. And uh, I'm sorry, but um, that's just not for everybody. And so I uh, want this podcast to be for those people who are not on that track. And, uh, you know, this is not for the easily offended. We're going to talk about some real uh, raw gospel doctrine. We're going to cut through everything, as I mentioned, and we're going to get to the essence of things. And honestly, um, natural-born Mormons are going to be offended by this because I'm going to call out a lot of the stuff that they do that's not right. And as a result, they alienate a lot of people who want to live the gospel, but they just feel that there's no hope. So, uh, you know, if you're easily offended, this podcast is simply not for you. So with that behind us, let's talk about my conversion story. I was uh, born and raised in Canada, and uh, specifically in the province of Nova Scotia, which is on the very east coast, right on the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, I don't expect anyone, honestly, to know where that is. Uh, In in the United States, you do not learn Canadian geography in school. However, in Canada, we do learn American geography in school. But uh, I'll give you an idea. Uh, it's uh, just north and slightly east of Maine. Also, uh, Nova Scotia is about an hour flight from Boston. So just right up the east coast, and uh, there we are. One of the most beautiful places on earth. Is, it's an extension of the northeast in terms of uh, how it looks, uh, you know, geography and uh, climate and things like that. It's very, very beautiful, especially in the fall. And uh, I am from an island in the northern 
part of Nova Scotia called Cape Breton Island. And uh, again, another beautiful place with amazing people. Nova Scotia was actually settled by the Scottish, and Nova Scotia means New Scotland. Uh, in Cape Breton, uh, the highlands there look very, very much like the Scottish highlands. So it is uh, similar to Scotland in many ways, uh, which creates its own beauty in that regard. I was raised as a Catholic, and uh, that was a very interesting type of experience for me to be honest. Uh, my mom was a nun before she got married, believe it or not. Legit, straight up Catholic nun, just like you see in the movies. Uh, and now she's got an amazing story, actually, uh, about going into the convent and uh, eventually leaving to start a family. And uh, I'm not going to share that story today. It's an amazing story. It really is. Uh, but um, I'm actually going to save that for my Mother's Day podcast episode. Uh, but uh, suffice to say that she was in the convent and then uh, decided that she needed to have a family. And uh, I, for one, am very grateful for that, as I can imagine my siblings are as well. But she never stopped acting like a nun, which was the irony in all of it. Uh, so I grew up with that. I'm the oldest of five kids, and uh, I took the brunt of it uh, as the oldest Trying to raise uh, parents is not easy, as you can imagine, but uh, raising strict Catholics is impossible. And uh, I, uh, I, I, it, it was difficult for me, quite frankly, uh, growing up. It, it, was a, it was a tough situation, and it, uh, it was something that caused me uh, to, uh, to develop some coping mechanisms that I still have to this day. So if you're not aware of what growing up in a, a Catholic home is, and you know if, if you're a convert listening to this, you might very well know exactly what I'm talking about, and that's cool. But uh, if someone who didn't grow up as a Catholic is listening, then um, Catholics have some very uh, strict and black and white beliefs about God, about life, and uh, about heaven and hell specifically, and it really shapes their actions. And, you know, once I discovered the gospel and kind of learned the truth about things, you start to see how there's a gap in, in my experience in the Catholic Church, and it might be the same for other churches, but I, I really saw the, the, um, the disconnect, right, where uh, they have this knowledge, but it's incomplete, and a lot of times it's false, of what they believe, but it shapes their life, you know, and it's the... It's a kind of uh, knowledge, like all of us, they base their decisions and their actions and their lives on this knowledge. And, you know, looking back, it's sad that we get one shot at life, and if you've got the wrong manual to get through life, you know, it's, your experiences are going to be very different. But at the same time, we all, we all know that uh, our, our life's experiences are part of our progression, part of our test, part of our reason for being here on the earth. So I don't regret that at all, actually. It, it provided the contrast and the preparation for me to eventually join the church. But uh, growing up in a strict Catholic home, my mom was kind of the, the main disciplinary uh, figure in the home. Uh, my dad, you know, supported her and everything and, and whatnot. He wasn't as intense, I guess, as she was. Uh, but he, you know, he, he supported and, and believed the same things. But the way Catholics kind of 
believe uh, about um, what you know what we call agency here, right? Uh, they they felt because first of all they they believe very strongly that there's a heaven and a hell. There's kind of you know two choices: either you're in or you're out, right? And uh, you really don't want to be in hell. You you really hope that you can make it to uh, to heaven. And so they believe that their choices will determine, you know, their their fate in those two categories. And so they're very leery about the choices you make in your life because they could be damning choices. And so you kind of develop this belief that, hey, if we take away your right to choose or your ability to choose, then you can't choose wrong. Therefore, you can be saved, you know, and that's how I felt anyway, what was going on in, in my life. And, um, you know, we know now with the gospel, right, that um, that kind of thinking was something that we rejected, right? We, we specifically turned down a plan that said, hey, there's no agency, uh, you know, everyone's going to go to heaven, uh, for the reason, you know, that, that we all chose to be here and to follow the Savior and Heavenly Father's plan and to give us that agency. So just that in itself was unnatural, right? Like it felt wrong to be in that situation. And I think in, instinctively we come to this earth, you know, just rejoicing at the opportunity to have agency or you know, what we call uh, free will, right? So if you're new to the gospel, agency just simply means the right to choose. And that's what we fought for. That was the plan that we voted for in the war in heaven. And as a result, we were rewarded with the opportunity to come to our second estate, right? And to, to be here on the earth, to gain a body and to go through life's challenges and trials and to progress towards our our eternal reward. And, uh, and salvation ultimately is the goal here. So that was difficult for me. And, and again, like I, I literally had never heard of the church uh, until I actually, you know, joined it, right? Like growing up, I never heard of the church. I, I vaguely, like really vaguely, faintly remember possibly seeing a commercial for the church on television. I don't know, maybe when I was a teenager or something like that. Um, maybe, like that was the only thing that I can think that, was even an introduction to the church. Otherwise, I really didn't know what it was uh, or really had heard of it. And uh, and so I'm just kind of flying blind here w- with all this, but uh, it still just didn't really feel like it was, you know, obviously the right thing. And um, I had a problem with sort of the, the, the way that I was raised. And, uh, you know, luckily I, I wasn't the type of person to rebel. Like, I really never did that. I knew people who did, but um, that was never my solution. And, you know, thankfully, um, I really just actually kind of shut down and, and, and became very withdrawn at home. And, uh, you know, because like my mom, everything was super strict. There's lots of rules. I was constantly being uh, grounded, right? <laughs> constantly being grounded for uh, not maintaining a curfew, which in a lot of cases was, you know, ridiculous because it was way earlier than my friend's curfew. So when we go out, you know, it's, it's nobody wants to come home early. Nobody wants to stop and take me back home and all these things. It was difficult to kind of maintain that. And everything was under a microscope and everything had to pass by my mom, you know, before I was allowed to, to do anything. 
and uh, you know they're just like way super overprotective, and it was it was difficult. I, I struggled with that a lot because uh, you know you just didn't have the freedoms that your friends did or everyone else did, or, or at least you thought they did. And with my parents, as, as honestly is with many Catholics, um, the uh, you know whenever I ask uh, you know why can't I do this or you know why can't I go here or do that or with my friends or whatever the answer was always because I said so you know and and that that got old pretty fast and it it, uh, it just was always the same kind of response it was always the same kind of answer there was no really like sitting down and discussing things and saying you know mom this is how I feel and when you say this this makes me feel this way there was no it was it was just like that's the end of the story um, my mom would get cross a lot uh, at me for you know pushing back on on their decisions and things like that and you kind of just um, couldn't talk to them I, th- I think uh, that way and so as a result I just re- withdrew really is what happened and that was sort of how I coped with this I completely compartmentalized everything and just buried it and I'm not saying that's that's healthy I don't you know don't try this at home kind of thing but I did try that at home and that's what I was doing and it, it got me through, I guess, but I just became very withdrawn and I, I, I didn't really have a close relationship with my siblings. Uh, not, not super tight. Like we didn't really hang out as much. And I was the oldest and I, was, I wasn't that far ahead of, of anyone, like two years ahead of my sister and that kind of thing. But um, my siblings were closer with each other than they were with me. And it wasn't bad. It was just we didn't connect as well as, as they did with each other. And that was, you know, really partly because of um, the, w- the way that uh, that I was, and, and I just sort of sh- shut everybody out. And so that was growing up, you know, and it was it was tough, and uh, I, uh, I I still struggle with that. That's still kind of my go-to even today for for that kind of thing. Is I'll, I'll just sort of shut down when you know maybe I'm upset or, or things like that, uh, or I'll swear a lot, yeah, but. Um, you know, I really try to maintain that healthy balance. So uh, growing up, I had a lot of questions. uh, And I wasn't like, look, I had questions because it was more out of curiosity. Like I wasn't looking for answers, honestly. Uh, I I, I really wasn't. Um, I just uh, was was really kind of trying to understand things like I was just curious about and it's and it's the you know the questions right that we all have and that the church says hey you know this is uh, the answers that we have to these common questions where do we come from why are we here where are we going but I really have those questions you know I remember um, I, I always had this kind of a I think it was a dream but I always had this vision growing up and it was, I didn't know what it meant at the time and it wasn't anything spectacular and it just sort of come to me here and there you know, every few years or something like that. And it was very simple. It was just, it was so weird. It was a, it was a picture of earth and you can tell it was earth and it, but it looked like it was from the perspective of space, right? So it's like I was in space and I'm looking down on the earth and the earth is kind of a, you know, it's, it's a tiny planet because uh, I'm, you know, so far away from it, basically. So I'm sort of looking at it from the heavens or whatever. And so it's, it's small, but you can tell it's earth. I mean, it looks very, very much like earth does, uh, you, you know, from that kind of a perspective, right? So it was very clear it was, it wasn't another planet and it was just, you know, kind of dark and all around it, like it was in outer space, right? And so it was just sort of black or stars all around it and that kind of thing. And there's no other planets. It was just earth isolated. 
And, and that was kind of it. And, and that, that image would just kind of come to me in dreams or sometimes maybe when I was just daydreaming or whatever. And I, I don't know really what it meant at the time, but it always made me curious because it made me think that there's got to be more to life than just this earth. And I think that that's what it, it was all about for me. It was me having that question, and that's sort of what my brain um, kind of translated that question into visually. It was just this little dream, and I, I get that, you know, fairly often here and there. And But I never could understand what it meant at all. And it, it was sort of now looking back, right, it was kind of like me wondering and, and pondering and, and thinking about those questions, right? Why we're here. And and really, I, I couldn't really understand that all that existed was this earth, right? But now, um, as, as a Catholic, we, we don't have, we, we, we don't have information, right, at all about where we came from, even why we're here, and definitely not where we're going. I mean, there's some concepts that are pretty loose, right? Fast and loose kind of concepts, right? But nobody really, honestly, they don't know. And I think that's a big reason why um, Catholics discourage questions and probing and kind of why my mom would never really uh, kind of get into a lot of big discussions because they don't have the answer. And they don't want to admit that, right? Nobody wants to admit we don't know. And especially when you're talking to your priest, right? Your, your, your congregational leader or like the equivalent of a bishop in the LDS church. But, uh, you know, they're the priests, right? They're like the connection to God. They should know. And, and, but when you ask questions, people just kind of clam up a little bit and say, well, that's, you know, that, that's for God to know. Or, um, you know, we just have to, to kind of go by faith or things like that. But nobody would ever admit that we don't know or that's, that's too complicated for us to understand or whatever, right? And, I know it, it just never made sense to me, but you could never get any answers. And I just kind of had these questions and, and nothing, I, I couldn't get any answers from anybody. So I really went through most of my life up until I was an adult, just sort of figuring out that, you know, this was the way it is, I guess. But, uh, and, I, and I wasn't on a pursuit though, right? That was the interesting thing. I didn't go to like Divinity College and I didn't seek out different churches or I didn't interview you know, all kinds of people to try and understand uh, religion or things like that. I, I just sort of had these questions in the back of my mind. I just went on about my life. So when I discovered the church, I was I was 26 years old when I got baptized, and I discovered it, um, you know, just before that, uh, actually. So I, I turned out to be what they referred to as a golden contact. It, it was interesting when I first uh, discovered it, that it, it kind of instantly clicked with me a little bit. Uh, like I was really curious about it because it was information about religion. And it, I was, I had always been kind of, I, as you know, right, just interested in that, but I didn't really get excited about it at first and whatever. It was just kind of, um, it was kind of interesting to look at and getting into some information. But I, uh, I, I found myself in Salt Lake City and I was downtown at, you know, Temple Square, and that's, you know, where you go kind of thing, right? And that's where um, the heart of the, the church is. And if you're interested in the church, right, that's the place to be. And that was cool. It was interesting to see. I'd never been there before. And again, at this point, I really didn't know much about the church. But um, here's what kind of really started the domino effect for me. So I was in the 
Church History Museum, I believe is what it was. And this is back to like 25 years ago, right, in 1994. And, and I don't know what it's like now if this is still the same. But I think in the basement or on the first floor, at the time they had this diorama of the first vision. And so it was, uh, you know, every stage of the first vision uh, from, you know, uh, the Savior and, and Heavenly Father, uh, you know, just appearing to Joseph Smith uh, right in the grove and uh, just the whole, every, every aspect of the restoration sort of laid out. And what was interesting, uh, my, my mind, first of all, works very logically. Uh, and I, I'm very, you know, emotional and, and passionate and creative and very um, right-brained, I suppose, that way. But also, for me, um, the gospel just, like, made sense first before I ever had, you know, any kind of testimony about anything. It just all logically followed. Because remember, I'm coming from a place where there's tons of gaps, there's tons of holes in logic, there's questions and no answers, and that kind of bothered me. So uh, the the only thing that I had to sort of take a leap of faith on was the apostasy. Now, as a Catholic, if you know anything about uh, Catholicism, they don't believe in an apostasy at all, right? So the Savior was crucified, the uh, the rest of the apostles were martyred, and then it goes right to the Pope, to the first Pope, right? That whole line of authority never skipped a beat, was never a gap, and went from Pope to Pope to Pope, all the way down to the present day. But I grew up in the 80s, and that, if any of you remember, was the height of the Catholic Church scandal, right, with uh, with the priests and altar boys and all the, you know, the, the pedophilia that was going on, right? It, w- it was pretty bad. And it had been going on for decades, and it was just constantly, like, like, I mean, it was just constant for sure, but it was coming to light for the first time in the 80s. And, uh, and it was big. It was, it was a mess. Like, it was bad news. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems from that. It's, it's messed up, no question. But uh, it all got exposed. And so, uh, pun intended. And so that, to me, didn't really give me a lot of confidence in the Catholic Church. And so I was willing to accept the fact, the premise, right, that there was an apostasy. Um, so if I was just willing to accept that, then all of a sudden everything logically followed, right? So if you think about it, Catholics believe a lot of things, a lot of the same things that Mormons believe, which is kind of cool. Obviously, Catholics are Christians, and uh, so they definitely believed in the Savior, that the Savior is the Savior, right? He's, he's not, he wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a, a cool guy who walked on the earth and had great things to say. He wasn't a healer. He was, he's the Savior. They totally believe that. Uh, Catholics absolutely believe that he was crucified, of course, and uh, they believe he was resurrected, and they believe that there will be a second coming, right? That Christ will come again. That's straight-up doctrine, Catholic doctrine. They all believe it, and I believed it, right? We had no reason not to. And so we all believe the same kind of thing. So when you look at, hey, if you're just willing to accept the fact that there's an apostasy, okay, meaning that the authority of God was removed from the earth after the Savior was crucified and after the, you know, the, the last remaining apostles were martyred, then um, there was the Dark Ages, and there was no connection between God and man for all that time, 1,800 years, right? And, 
and, and so what that enabled was the restoration of um, many churches, not restoration, that, that enabled the creation of many churches, but it, it opened up a, um, a kind of an environment where it was okay to create your own church, basically, uh, or it was okay to branch off from an existing church with your own ideas and create your own following, right? So that's how we end up getting all of these Christian uh, sects and churches, right, from, you know, Lutherism and, and Calvinism and the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church and the Episcopalians and uh, the Baptists and all these guys, right? They're all different aspects of Christianity, but they all sort of just branched out. And, you know, somebody started this church or was a part of this church, and they didn't like the teachings or didn't think they were true or accurate. So they left and started their own church, and that all led to the Reformation, which, of course, created the environment where the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints could then be restored to the earth. So anyway, um, if you simply accept that premise uh, and, and say, okay, you know what, I believe that there was an apostasy, then everything else logically followed, right? So if you believe that Christ is a Savior, if you believe that he was crucified and was resurrected and you believe that he's going to come again, then it, it makes perfect sense that his church, which was on the earth when he was on the earth, that that same church would be restored again to prepare the world for the second coming. Like, to me, that was not a big leap. You know what I mean? Like, just logically, it's like, well, yeah, I believe all that other stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that's not hard to believe that it would be restored, right? So if you believe it was possible for Christ's church to be restored back on the earth to prepare for his second coming— then it's not a big leap to believe that once again we would have a prophet on the earth, just like they did in the past in biblical times and everything like that, right? That's, again, that kind of comes part and parcel with Christ's church. And so if there's a prophet, well, yeah, it makes sense that there would be 12 apostles once again on the earth. And it just all went from there for me. And that was something that, like, you know what? This actually makes sense. Like, it logically follows. And so if if you believe that the gospel would be restored and you believe that, yeah, we need a prophet again, then, yeah, it makes sense that somebody would be picked to be the prophet. And, you know, that just happened to be Joseph Smith. Uh, and uh, it would make sense to me that Heavenly Father and the Savior would appear to him to say, hey, guess what? It's your lucky day. You're the new <laughs> prophet. Uh, and uh, and it just kind of all went from there. And then, you know, the Book of Mormon. Um, again, I know that's a, that's a tough one for some people, um, but I didn't really have a problem with it. I, I wasn't big on reading the Bible. Like, my mom would try to get us to read the Bible and have, like, family scripture study and, you know, with the Bible, and we were not interested. Like, Catholic kids are not interested. End of story. Like, because that, that kind of stuff is not ingrained in us, and we don't have a testimony of the gospel like you do in the church. You see the youth in the LDS church and how committed they are and how they love to read the scriptures and all this kind of stuff. We were not those people, right? We did not have an interest in that, whatever. It was horrible. And they just gave up. Like, my parents just gave up. And it's like, eh, whatever. Um, so I never really had like a burning testimony of the Bible. Uh, I, I simply believed it was the Word of God because that's what I always knew. Uh, but you know, the, the Book of Mormon, I had no problem believing that that was uh, real scripture. I mean, you know, once you read it, you know, right? But 
I mean, hey, listen, if if this prophet thing is real, then I'm, you know, maybe those new scriptures are real too. I mean, who knows, right? Let's let's uh, see where this goes. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and, and accept that. And uh, so I didn't really personally have a, a problem with that because all of this made sense. Like all of this was answering questions I've had my whole life, right? So I'm just excited about seeing where this goes because like, hey, maybe there's more information here that even makes more sense to me about all of this. And suddenly, you know, I have an idea that we came from somewhere. And I have an idea of like the purpose of being on the earth now and, uh, you know, and where we might be able to, to go. And hey, it's not just heaven or hell. Uh, so that was kind of exciting, and um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I I, I didn't really think that um, transcribing the uh, the Book of Mormon from the the plates uh, was a big deal. That's just me. I know people are really hung up on that, but anyway, I was willing to sort of accept it and kind of uh, keep going. So that that's what did it for me initially was all of that. It just logically followed that all of this could actually happen. It really could happen. It just made sense to me. And so when I started like getting, like asking more questions, getting into it, I met with the missionaries and that's where kind of that golden contact thing comes in uh, from what they say. But um, back in those days, right, they were doing the six discussions and that was cool. And so, but we would meet and do the first discussion and that was fine. And then they said, okay, so next time we meet, we're going to talk about this. This is the second discussion. Here's what we're going to talk about. I'm like, hey, well, let's just do it right now. That sounds cool. So we did. So I ended up meeting just for three times with the missionaries. We, we banged out all six lessons in three visits, and then I got baptized. And that whole period of time was, was three weeks, right, from the initial meeting to getting baptized. Here's a little trick that um, I'd like to know if missionaries still do. So I met with them at the beginning of January. And I got baptized at the end of January, the first week of January, I guess. So um, when I first met with them, they said, hey, by the way, we're having a baptism at the end of the month. We'd love for you to come and check it out. I said, all right, whatever. That sounds all right. So uh, no problem. So anyway, you know, we go through everything. I'm in. I decide to get baptized. I go to the baptism at the end of the month. And I'm the only one there getting baptized, you guys. That was that. Was that. So I'm like, what? Is this like a trick that you guys do? Or, or, or something, because that ain't cool, man. Like, there's nobody else here getting baptized. It's just me. Like, I was the only one on the program that day. So, I don't know, maybe that's just what they do. I got to give it, you know, credit to them. That was kind of a cool trick. And I'm all about that kind of stuff. Anyway, it's kind of fun. So that was uh, my experience with, uh, with getting baptized. But I have to tell you, it was an incredible experience. And my baptism is still one of the main reasons that I've always had a testimony of of the gospel. And it was pretty amazing. So you have to understand that um, growing up outside of the church, like not just outside of the church, like not knowing that the church exists, that the LDS church exists, right? Having, having no idea. The only thing you've got as a point of reference for getting through this life is the world around you, right? That's it. That's that's your whole thing. All you understand is what you see on this planet. You have no idea. You're like you literally have no concept of a pre-existence that you know, you know, again Catholics believe that that God is our father, but they also believe that God is just like this ethereal spirit kind of thing that can that's how he knows everything because he can exist everywhere because he's a spirit, right? But even though the Bible, which Catholics believe wholeheartedly, says we were all created in God's image, I don't look like a ghost, right? 
Uh, I mean, I'm, I've got a human form, and I imagine most of you do too. So that didn't make sense either, right? So that's kind of where it gets crazy is because, like, well, don't you believe your own scriptures kind of thing? But anyway, um, we have very, like, Catholics have very, very limited understanding of what, you know, happened before we came to this earth. There's just no information. And then again, of course, we talk, talked about, like, what comes after this earth? Well, it's heaven or hell, man. And you better hope you uh, you get the right ticket. So um, I'm going by that. And and so when you look, especially when you're growing up, right, you're very impressionable. You're looking for guidance. You're looking for the things that you need to do to be happy, to be successful, to be whatever you need it to be. And all you have are the things around you, right, the ways of the world, and the people that are around you in your life. And uh, I did a lot of things that, um, you know, obviously go against the commandments uh, of God. Like, the, we, you know, as, as Mormons and members of the church, we live a different standard than everyone else does by choice, right? And we understand why we do that, and we uh, choose to do that. But when you don't have that knowledge right, growing up outside the church, then you're kind of on your own. And so you do things that, I mean, your, your idea of happiness is what you see in the beer commercials, right? If I can live like the people in the beer commercials, I'm going to be really happy. I'm going to have beautiful women all the time because apparently they love regular looking guys who drink that beer. That's, that's it. I'm in, man. So you try that and guess what? It doesn't work. Uh, it's, I mean, I don't know where those women are, but they were never in the bars I went to. And so you are stuck in this paradigm where it's like, I'm looking for this happiness. I'm not finding it. I don't know if it's real. I don't know what makes me happy. I don't know what to do. And, and you, you look for happiness and fulfillment in the things of the world. And I never did anything criminal, okay? Uh, you know, my, my actions were more just uh, like what we might call moral sins, right? That kind of stuff. So I never went to jail. I never did drugs. I, I drank a lot and that kind of stuff and, and chased women, that, that sort of thing, right? But you think that that's what makes you cool. You think, hey, listen, if I get a lot of women, I'm going to be an amazing guy. I'm going to be uh, a stud. I'm going to be, you know, just in high regard with my friends. I'm going to be totally cool. If I have the, the nicest clothes, if I have all the material things, that's what happiness is. That's what life is. And you... <laughs> You live, you live like that because you don't know the difference, right? You don't know that there's another way, and you, you, you find out the hard way that that is not happiness at all. And that's where I was, and I, I was at a real low point, like rock bottom in, in my life. It was um, it was just like, like emotionally and and mentally I think I was really at rock bottom I wasn't in jail or anything like that but I was just lost I was really lost I didn't know where my life was going at that time and uh, you know that the timing was right I mean you you learn right that the 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 Lord knows when you're ready and so I was and so when I um, got baptized an amazing thing happened it was a literal physical transformation so first of all when you live by the standards of the world, the way I was, there are a lot of really bad emotions and feelings that fill your heart. Okay, I'm talking about 
lust. I'm talking about selfishness. I'm talking about pride. I'm talking about, uh, you know, even even hatred, right? And maybe not severe, but just um, jealousy is maybe a better word for it. But all of these really dark emotions, they completely consume your heart and your soul because you don't know any better. And the worst part is you have no idea that you're at war with an adversary who you think doesn't exist. And how do you win a battle when you don't even know you're fighting, right? So the adversary is a huge upper hand and he, you know, he can't make you do things, of course, but he can push you in a direction and suggest things and you don't know any better and you follow those things because he'll say, hey, this is what happiness is. And so my heart was really, um, really full with a lot of dark emotions. And when, when I went under the water, right, when I got baptized and I was submerged, the instant that I came up out of the water, I had this transformation I talked about where I literally felt all of those dark emotions and dark feelings. I felt that physically, I just leave my heart, right? Just like this leave out of my body. And uh, it was instantly replaced with the peace and, and the love of the Holy Spirit. And that was a real, true phenomenon that I experienced. And I'll never forget that. It's been the thing I I fall back on a lot of times when I think, hey, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. It's just, it's a tough day here and I don't, I don't want to obey the commandments. I don't want to do anything. You know, I, I just, I, life is tough. I don't want to do this trial anymore, you know? I don't want to face these challenges anymore. When I think about what that felt like, and I think even more about what life is like without the gospel, without a knowledge of the truth, without a testimony in your heart that you know that the gospel is true. I know what that's like. Man, you don't want to... You don't want to be there. You don't want to live your life in a way that you constantly have those feelings in your heart and that's who you become. It's a bad place. And it's not happiness. It's not. And so I'm really lucky. I'm very blessed to have that contrast in my life. You know, I'm... I think honestly, if I grew up in the church, that I would absolutely 100% have strayed. And I cannot tell you whether I would have come back or not. And I don't know, I'm, I'm leaning towards not knowing myself. And that's because I, I, I have to see that contrast. Like I have to know why I'm doing something. And I applaud, you know, the members of the church who can just, they're born and raised. They never, they, they, they like, they'll, they'll never stray, right? They, they just obey and they're happy and they never want to know what's it like to get drunk or, you know, what's it like to go to a strip club, right? Or what's it like to do this or to do that or what? They don't care. Like they don't need to know. They just know that the gospel is true 
and they're happy with that. But I, I'm not like that. Like I need to see why, like I need to understand, oh yeah, damn, that's why we don't do those things. Okay. Good to know. No problem. I don't want to go back to that anymore. Right. And this is again, where, you know, Heavenly Father, it's just so amazing how incredible he is as a God, right? Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knew that the best thing for me was to grow up outside the church and understand what it's like to not have the gospel and understand what it's like to be rock bottom spiritually and then to have that light come into your life and completely change everything. And that's what keeps me going on the straight and narrow. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And it gets you through the tough times and the tough days. And, and that's what it's all about. And, and, you know, that's, that's been 25 years and, um, you know, I've always, uh, been active in the church. I'm, I'm, you know, not someone who's a model member, I guess. Uh, I struggle with a lot of things and, and we all do, and that's okay. That that's honestly, that's not a big deal. And we'll, we'll get into, you know, stuff like that as, as we get into the various episodes of the podcast. But, um, it's, uh, looking back, you know, I, I can't imagine where I'd be. Well, honestly, I think I'd, I probably wouldn't be here, uh, to be very truthful, thinking about where my mind was when I joined the church. And, you know, if I just stayed on that path instead, um, I, I just don't think I would have lost hope. I really, I really feel that that's what would have happened. We'll never know. And that's good. But, uh, you know, things have, uh, been so much better and, and, uh, you know, so much more difficult at the same time, uh, you know, being a member of the church and living the gospel. But the, uh, the beauty of the knowledge and the understanding that we have is what gets us through uh, the tough times. And, and I'm extremely grateful for that. But as much as all the logic made sense to me about the restoration and the church and everything like that, that wasn't what made me pursue the gospel. What it was, was the members of the church. So growing up, when you don't have the fullness of the gospel, right? When you don't have all the knowledge of the gospel, uh, you don't have what I call the greater why. So Catholics believe many of the same things as Mormons believe. Uh, they believe, of course, everything about Christ. They believe in um, abstinence uh, right before marriage. Uh, not having sex before marriage, they um, believe in following the commandments. You know, all these things are very, very similar to the church. The problem is you don't have a foundation as to why you should do all these things. It's always just because I told you, right, or I said so, like my mom used to say, or it was just like, if you don't follow the commandments, you're going to go to hell. So, you know, good luck with that. It's your choice, <laughs> right? So... So the, the, the problem I found myself in, and I imagine if you're a convert to the church, you might even be able to relate, to relate to this too, is that I knew and felt like, yeah, you know what, I should follow the commandments. as what I was taught, what I grew up with. But I struggled with maintaining the commandments, uh, you know, for a long period of time. Like, so I, w- I would go for, a, you know, a period of time and I would follow the commandments and then, you know, temptation would, would come uh, into play or uh, there'd be an opportunity or whatever the case is, and I would fall off the wagon, right? I'd sin or whatever. And then, you know, you feel bad and you, you think, oh, yeah, no, I got, I've got to do better. I've got to do this. I've got to get back on track here with all of this. But 
then I'd go for another period of time, and then you'd sin again, right? What I noticed was there was no, as far as I could tell, there was no consequence to my actions. Like the morality police did not show up if you, you know, went to a bar and hooked up with a girl or whatever the case is. The next day, you know, you don't get in trouble, right? <laughs> Nothing happens other than you feel, uh, you know, the, the, you don't feel very good. You, you feel remorse. You feel maybe, you know, you feel... Uh, ashamed, maybe you feel disgusted, whatever the case is, but you can get over that, right? Um, but like nothing happens. Like you look around, it's like, okay, I know I sinned, but where's the consequence? And there was no feeling of consequence at all because you don't have the knowledge. And so when I started kind of looking into the church, right, in the gospel, I noticed how members of the church behaved. And the thing that I noticed was that for the most part, and again, this is a this is a generalization, right? But I think we can all agree, for the most part, members of the church who are active don't really struggle with a lot of the temptations of the world. Now, let me—I'm you know, going to say right away, right? There are definitely members, and we all know members of the church who have been unfaithful, right, or who have committed crimes, or who have committed moral uh, violations that are reprehensible. And, you know, that th- is not in standing with what a member of the church should be. We all, but, but all of that aside, like in general, like you and I, as members of the church, if we're active, we don't struggle with cheating on our spouse in general, right? We don't struggle with going to strip clubs. We don't struggle with alcohol and drugs and smoking and a lot of the word of wisdom issues. Again, people do and there's temptations, but just in general, that's not something that we struggle with. Like We really don't think about that kind of stuff, right? And that's what I noticed. I noticed that a lot of members just don't deal with the problems that I was dealing with. They seemingly do not have the temptations that I have, nor do they struggle with giving in to them. And that bothered me. Uh, What conclusion I came to was these people know something that I don't know. And that set me on a journey to find out what that was. Because, I mean, these are just regular people like me. You know what I mean? Like, I am, like, college-educated, white-collar professional. You know, I, these, it's not like these people are smarter than me or, or, you know, more capable than I am or more godlike than me. They have special powers to resist temptation, right? It wasn't like that. They're average, normal people like all of us. So why was it so easy for members of the church to completely not only resist temptation, but not even be bothered by it, not even be tempted by it? And I'm struggling all the time to just overcome these uh, temptations and things. And I just concluded that these people know something that I don't know. And I had to find out what it was. And that is the thing that set me on the journey to discovery. And I had to know why was it so easy for these people to get through life and, and not deal with these temptations when I struggled all the time. All right, so let me conclude with a funny story about my uh, conversion. Uh, so this is, uh, it, this is pretty crazy. Um, I, uh, so I, I get baptized. It's a Saturday. Everything went great, of course. I'm riding high. It's all good. The next day, I go to church. And it's really kind of the first time... I think I, I don't even know if I went to church with the missionaries or before I got baptized. I may have gone to sacrament. But anyway, this is definitely the first time I'm all in, excited, totally new, totally green. 
and I'm at church for the full block, right? And so I'm talking to a couple of guys. I can't remember if it was actually the missionaries who baptized me or it was just some people at church who I just met that day or whatever. But I'm talking to a couple of guys. We're in the foyer. It might be before church starts. It might be in between meetings. And we're just, we're just hanging out. And so all of a sudden, um, this little dude runs up to me and, and to us there, right? And uh, it turns out he's a member of the bishopric, which is cool. So he starts um, just asking me some questions. And the craziest thing, like this dude, I'm not even kidding. This dude was a spinning image of Matt Lauer. And I don't know how that happened, but this dude looked exactly like Matt Lauer. And um, this was like 25 years ago, right? When it was when it was cool to actually say Matt Lauer. So that's all good. So he really did. And uh, anyway, so he's just talking to me and he's... Uh, you know, just like, okay, you're new. Yeah, okay, we'll get your records, all that kind of stuff. We'll get you set up or whatever. And then just like completely out of the blue, and I just like literally met this guy, right, a second ago. And then he asks me, are you endowed? So I need to stop right there and explain something to you guys because when, okay, so the word endowed has a very specific meaning in the church, and it has a very specific meaning outside the church. And these two meanings could not be more polar opposite at all. Having lived my entire life, I was 26, right? Having lived my entire life outside of the church, never heard of the church, the only meaning of this word was the meaning that the world holds for this, okay? Like, you got to remember, I literally got baptized the day before. Like, I don't know anything, you know, about the temple or, or church context of the word endowed. I really don't. All I know is what I know. So you know where this is going. So he asked me that, and I'm I'm just, first of all, like, I, I'm literally the dictionary definition of confused to start off with. And I, I'm just like, I don't know what to say. First of all, like, like I, I'm, I'm like, my mind is going like, why is this guy asking me this? And why is he asking me this at church? Like, this is none of your business, Matt Lauer. Why are you asking me this? Like, my brain is completely in this really funky, kind of surreal, dreamlike state. Like, and and all all Matt, Matt Lauer, doppelganger guy sees is silence for a second, and then. Uh, and so he, he picks up right away, right? He says, okay, yeah, that's, he knows the answer is no. And so he says, that's cool, whatever. And then he just walks off and does his paperwork. And I'm still like processing this. It's like, I don't get that, you know, and the, the, the thing that was crazy to me was the two guys standing there with me didn't even blink, right? Like this guy just came up and asked that. And these guys are just standing there acting like it's totally appropriate and it's totally cool to ask someone you don't even know at church if they're endowed, right? <laughs> and I'm having this crazy out-of-body experience kind of thing. It's like, what just happened? You know, and it, it, I'm like, I'm having like, you know, one of those Cameron moments, right? It's like, what the... <laughs> Hell, what kind of church is this? 
So I don't even know where to go with this. And it was crazy. And of course, I didn't say anything. And all of this is going inside my head, but it's just like really, really freaking me out for a second. And of course, you know, later on, uh, obviously, I, uh, I figure out what the context of that word is uh, in terms of the church. have a little bit of a laugh with myself. I uh, didn't tell a soul, of course, until now, so keep this to yourself. But um, crazy, crazy thing. And, and I mean, that, that's, that's the challenge you face as a convert, right, to the churches. You're coming from one perspective of the, of, that the world has to offer, and that's all you know, to a completely different world that has everything in a new context that is like totally different, completely different and separate from where you're coming from. And you're going to have these kinds of moments where things just don't make sense at all. Uh, and so that was me for that moment. Of course, the story does have a happy ending. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> now when people ask me that question, I say, oh, I'm well endowed. I've been to the temple many times. All right, kids, that is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you very much for listening. Your homework for today is to subscribe to this podcast so that you will be notified immediately, if not sooner, when the next episode drops. And in the meantime, keep the faith and keep your stick in the ice. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Impeccable Perspective Podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Amazon Prime, iHeartRadio, and wherever fine podcasts are sold. 